Well, good morning, Christ Central. It is a delight to be with you again, and thank you, Evan, for that introduction, most particularly for um, doing what I dare not do, and that is drawing attention to my wife and daughter. She is a, uh, both do not desire the spotlight, but everything you said uh, is absolutely, is absolutely true. I want to turn our attention to God's Word for the message this morning. The message comes from uh, the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, in verses 27 through 31. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31, and I want to speak to you on this subject. Walk together, children, don't you get weary. Walk together, children, don't you get weary weary. Here's God's word. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this word that is living and active, as sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And all of us in this place, Lord, are naked and exposed to your eyes, the one to whom we must all give account. And this is good news because this means, Lord, you know precisely what we stand in need of this morning. And so would you be pleased to take these efforts of mine, weak and unworthy though they may be, and use them to bless your people. Speak your truth to our hearts, meet us where we are, and give us what we need. Faith, hope, peace, comfort, correction, whatever it may be, that we will be people who live for the glory and praise and fame of Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, James Weldon Johnson, African-American poet, songwriter, most uh, commonly known, the man who penned the words to the song that we become known as the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. In 1925, James Weldon Johnson and his brother Jay Rosamond Johnson collaborated together on a project and produced a two-volume hymnal titled The Books of American Negro Spirituals. And in his introduction to that hymnal, Johnson wrote a poem that he titled O Black and Unknown Bards. It was a tribute to the unknown composers 
of that body of work known as the Negro Spirituals. And the first stanza of that poem, he writes this, O black and unknown bards of long ago, how came your lips to touch the sacred fire? How in your darkness did you come to know the power and beauty of the minstrel's lyre? Who first from midst his bonds lifted his eyes? Who first from out of the still watch lone and long feeling the ancient faith of prophets rise within his dark kept soul burst into song? In the poem, he asks the question, how? The question was not how could they sing any song. It was no surprise that music and rhythm and song were an integral part of the life of the black experience in America. There was surely a connection between the rhythms of those found in those songs and, the, and those found in the African continent. And it's no surprise that people from every background can make rhythmic, good-sounding, and toe-tapping music. The question was, how could they sing the spirituals? The music he's paying homage to is, you might call say, redeemed music that glorifies God. He's paying tribute to that kind of music. How is it possible that out of such darkness sprung such beauty? For most African slaves in America, there was no triumph in this world. How then could there be any songs of victory? In his tribute, Johnson says that, that the, the singer's spirit must have nightly floated free, although about his hands he still felt chains. How did they sing in a way that was better than what they knew experientially? One of those songs that I believe arises out of scripture passages like the one that we are turning our attention to this morning is the spiritual walk together children don't you get weary and the lyrics go like this walk together children don't you get weary walk together children don't you get weary walk together children don't you get weary there's a great camp meeting in the promised land oh talk together children don't you get weary sing together children don't you get weary shout together children don't you get weary there's a great camp meeting in the promised land we're going to mourn and never tire mourn and never tire mourn and never tire there's a great camp meeting in the promised land and this is a community song although they did strive for freedom from bondage this clarion call was that they were to walk together and talk together and sing together and shout together and yes even mourn together all the while not growing weary this is because they looked to each other to not grow weary in the morning. They looked to the hereafter and understood that there was a great camp meeting in the promised land. And the song was a collective call to hope in the midst of suffering and to joy in the middle of sorrow and the strength to endure through the struggle. And this is the same call. This is the same clarion call we find the Lord giving his people in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 27 through 31. I want to talk about three things in this message out of this passage. I want to talk about uh, the complaint. I want to talk about the confession and the comfort. The complaint, the confession, and the comfort. 
Isaiah chapter 40 is a popular chapter in the Bible. The New Testament quotes from this chapter regularly. Verse 3 is quoted by the, the gospel writers in reference to John the Baptist. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verses 6 and 8 are quoted by the apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 24 to 25. For all flesh is like glass grass and the and is all its glory like the flower of grass the the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the lord remains forever the apostle paul quotes verse 13 or references it in romans chapter 11 and verse 34 where he says for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor indeed this chapter is a turning point in the prophet's book. The, the, the primary theme of the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah is judgment. God's judgment over Israel for their sin and rebellion. And the turning point comes in the words of verse 1 of chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And the word of comfort, word of comfort is necessary because of the people's situation. Their rebellion and their unbelief has resulted in judgment and they issue a complaint to God. Their complaint is that the Lord does not see them nor does the Lord care about them and their circumstances. We find out this complaint uh, through the Lord's response in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and why do you speak this way, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and, and from my God my right or my justice is overlooked. This is a collective why, or my rather. This is a collective my, the, it's the people of Israel as a whole. Our way is hidden from the Lord. The, their way is the course of their life, right? Our hard and our difficult path that we are on right now is hidden from him. Not only that, but our justice is being passed over. We are suffering and the Lord is paying no regard to it. There's a sense of despair and a sense of sadness in the complaint. We're troubled on every side. Our situation is dire. And Lord, you don't even seem to see it. Not only that, you don't even seem to care that we're being unjustly treated. Listen, underlying this complaint is a reality Underlying this complaint is the reality and the confession that God is sovereign and all-powerful. See, they're crying out because he's their God and they know that he has the power to affect change in their situation. He has the power to right the wrong. He, if they didn't believe that he was able to, then there'd be no sense in complaining to him. What they're saying is, our complaint, Lord, is that you can do it, but you haven't. And this puts us in even more despair. You realize that complaining to God 
is a prominent occurrence in the Bible. The psalmist especially in the Psalm 13 and verse 1, the psalmist complains, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist in Psalm 27 and verse 9 says, Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Psalm 42 and verse 9, I say to God, my wrath, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 7, O Lord, you deceived me and I was deceived. You're stronger than I am and you prevail. I become a laughing stock all the day. Everybody mocks me. Here is a regular feature of complaint when you find it in the pages of the Bible. We are suffering or I am suffering in an unjust situation and Lord, you don't seem to care. How are we going to survive in the middle of this suffering? How are we going to survive in the middle of this oppression? How are we going to survive in the middle of this tribulation and injustice if you're not for us? How are we going to make it if you're not on our side? One commentator points out that the first question is theological. <laughs> it touches on the nature of God. He can't see. <laughs> The second question is experiential. It touches on their own experience. Uh, God, you don't answer our prayers. Let me ask you this question. How, how, how do you, in the face of ongoing oppression, in the face of ongoing injustice, in the face of ongoing uh, uh, unrighteousness, ongoing war and rumors of war, how do, you, how do you respond to the never-ending reality of suffering and sorrow? How do you respond to the never-ending reality of pain and tribulation and problems? Whether it is what we continue to see as the racial injustice that still plagues this nation or the economic disparities that maintain a seemingly permanent structure of haves and have-nots in society or the oppression that is experienced by the most vulnerable people among us all over the world. Thank you, brother. You see me struggling. Bless you. Passages like this give us the freedom to bring our complaints to God. You see, we instinctively know, we instinctively know that if God is God, he's got to be good. And if God is God, he's got to be just. So it's actually better to bring our complaints to him instead of becoming despondent about the suffering, instead of ignoring or trying to explain away the suffering or trying to, to, to even say, look, if there's all this wrong and injustice, there can't be a God. Because look, notice who's asking the questions. It's the Lord who's asking the questions. 
It's the Lord who's saying, why do you all keep saying that I can't see what's going on? Why do you all keep saying that I don't care about what's going on? The message from the Lord is this. Do not only use your personal experience as the measure and basis for what you understand I see and what I know and how I act. Do not think that your personal experience is the measure of your understanding of what I see, what I know, and how I act. His response to their complaint is to remind them of their confession. It comes to them in the form of two more questions in verse number 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? These are rhetorical questions. <laughs> the answer is, you already know. <laughs> You've already heard. You've already known what it is, right? He's saying, look, look, look. In the middle of this situation, when you're full of complaint because of the injustice, you need to remember what you already know about me. You need to remember what you already learned about me. He's saying, Israel, you are not a people without a history. You know what I've done for you in the past. Remember the confession that the Lord is the everlasting God. That the, that the Lord is the God of eternity, that he has no beginning and he has no end, that he's the creator of the ends of the earth, that everything that exists, exists because he created it and because he's eternal, he's not like you. His way can be hidden from you, but there's no way that your way can be hidden from him. Your situation can't be hidden from him because he's created everything and everyone. There is nothing he does not know. There is nothing that he does not see. He is omni-everything, omni-powerful, omnipresent, omni-omniscient, all-knowing, omni-belevolent, omni-just, omni-everything. All that's good, he's all of it. Not only that, but he never gets tired or weary, he said. The creation continues. The sun keeps on shining. The planets and the stars, they continue to follow the course that he has set for them in the heavens. He's not like us. He doesn't need sleep. He doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't need to take a break from his work. He is not so tired from helping Joe out over here that he has to take a break and catch his breath before he goes up to help Joanna out over there. It's not what God is like. His understanding, the Bible says here, is unsearchable. There's no searching the depth of his understanding. You and I can't comprehend what he knows. There's no limit to the depth and the width and the breadth of what he understands. You and I can only scratch the surface this is God. This is what he is like. Listen, if, if you've come to God through the only possible way, that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the reality of his sovereignty, 
the reality of his power, the reality of his control, it is a cause for rejoicing in thanks and praise, even in the face of injustice. Why? Because we don't have to worry that we serve some impotent God. We don't have to worry that we serve some God that has to consult somebody else because he, before he comes to work change. Just like the people of Israel in this text are a people with a history who knew what the Lord had done for them, Christians are a people with a history. Christians are people with personal history. To be a Christian means to be able to say that the Lord has transferred, transferred me out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. He's brought me out of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son with whom I have forgiveness. To be a Christian means to know that I've confessed with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. But look, Christians are a people with a corporate history as well. That's what I mean. We understand as Christians that the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension to glory of Jesus Christ is the event that changed the whole world. We understand that it was God's declaration that the world that he was committed to was not just a world where he saves individual people. He was committed to renewing and redeeming the whole creation. He was committed to claiming the whole creation back for himself, which means that every wrong will be righted, which means that every oppression will be undone, which means that every injustice will, will result in him granting justice eventually. So we understand as God's people as Christians, we understand that justice delayed doesn't mean justice denied. But, but you see, you and I need faith. We need the eyes of faith to see that. We need the eyes of faith to believe that because very often what we see in our life experiences tells us a different story. See, these are the eyes that cause the community of oppressed people to sing, walk together, children, don't you get weary. Keep on talking and singing and shouting. Don't get weary. You see, they understood the comfort that comes from grasping the last part of a text in verse 29. The prophet says, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. He gives strength to the weary and to the powerless he increases power. This is, a, this is a, a parallel verse. In other words, both parts of the verse are saying the same thing, but with an increased intensity in the second part, emphasizing that God is the one who's making it happen. The sufferings and the issues and the trials of life, they help us to realize that we are not in control. He doesn't grow weary. He's not lacking in any power. 
He's got no need to rest, but we do grow weary. <laughs> we do lack power. We do have need to rest. We lack the power to permanently change wrongs to right. We, we lack the ability to permanently bring justice to bear in this life. But the Lord is merciful and gracious and will give strength to his weary children. Are you lacking in power this morning? He'll cause the might of his children to increase, it says. A few years ago, Gatorade, which I, I might, I need some of that right now. Gatorade had this commercial, right? You had these athletes, they were running on treadmills, they were lifting weights and they were sweating profusely, they were getting exhausted and they'd, they'd get some Gatorade and they'd drink the Gatorade and all of a sudden their sweat was like drops of Gatorade. It'd be purple and orange and blue and then the announcer came on and they said, here's the question, is it in you? How are you, how you going to make it through uh, without the Gatorade, right? right? That's all right if I'm shooting some hoops or swinging some kettlebells, but the question is in the issues and the trauma and the sufferings of life that weigh us down, that make us weary. Is he in you? Is he in you? Because he's the one who gives strength to the weary that they might endure. He's the one who, who comes to those lacking in power and gives them power. And this is the comfort. Uh, the comfort is not necessarily the Lord taking you out of the situation. The comfort is not necessarily the Lord, the, the Lord changing the situation. The comfort is the peace and the power he gives in the middle of the situation that you might endure it. It's like David said in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's the comfort. You see, the Bible doesn't know anything about that saying, God helps those who help themselves. That's a lie. No, it's the exact opposite, what we see in the pages of Scripture. God helps those who recognize they can't help themselves. When we recognize our need and our powerlessness over the situation, God steps in with his comfort and his peace. It is only those who, who feel and admit their weakness who can benefit from, receive, or make use of this gift. See, the issues of life they will be there. The issues of life that weigh people down, that weigh whole communities down, will be there until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to set all things right. We live through the ups and downs. We, we hear the testimony of Scripture of people like Job who says in chapter 14 of his book, man who is born of woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He, he flees like a shadow and continues not. Job was a man who was well acquainted with suffering and pain and struggle. He knew full well and good that his strength was inadequate, but he was also well acquainted with the God who gives strength to those who are weary. 
That's why he also says in the middle of his suffering, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This will be, he said, this will be my hope and this will be my salvation that the godless shall not come before him. Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians about, about the thorn in his flesh that was given him that because of these revelations that he has in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations I had received, a thorn was, was given me in the flesh, he said, the, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He said, three times I, I pleaded with the Lord. I, I begged the Lord about this that it should leave me Lord take it away from me but the Lord says to him my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness and then Paul says therefore I will all the more gladly boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me for the sake of Christ then listen he says for the sake of Christ I am content with weaknesses I am content with insults. I'm content with hardship. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, the continual need, the continual need to realize that our own strength is inadequate to deal with the problems of this life, that's the testimony that runs through the scriptures. The prophet says in verse 30, even you shall even you shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. They'll become tired and faint. The young men will surely stumble. Even the strongest and most choice in society grow weary and, and fall. Even, even those you would expect to be able to endure cannot escape being worn out by this life. Youth and vigor are not enough. Nothing but the strength that God provides his children is enough to enable them to endure. Well, what does it take? Here's what it takes. Last, last part, verse 31. Those who wait on the Lord. Those, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like like the eagle, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In contrast to the, to the youth and the young men, those who, who wait on the Lord, those who trust in his promises, those who lean on him for strength won't become tired. They won't faint. They'll be able to endure the difficult times with expectation that he will keep them in the middle of the suffering. He will keep them in the middle of the trials and the, and the testimonies and the difficulties. The verb here for wait has the sense of waiting with hope. It's, it's not a dreary and dreadful waiting. Uh, we could also say those who hope in the Lord and the, and the verb for re receive anew has a sense of replacing and exchanging. Here's the, pro here's the point. The promise is, is that those who hope in the Lord keep on receiving new strength. This is not a promise to 
revive your your old inadequate strength. It's an exchange. God says he's going to throw away that useless strength you have and replace it with his strength. Remember verse 20, he doesn't grow weary, he doesn't get tired, he doesn't faint. Do you need a strength exchange? God says he'll replace your strength with his. It is the only thing that will do anything else. Listen, anything else is, a, is an imposter. Anything else that promises you the ability to endure through trials and difficulties and tribulations is an imposter. Your money is lying to you. Your house and possessions are lying to you. The institutions of higher learning are lying to you. They cannot provide strength when you're weary. They cannot provide comfort in the storms of life. They're not able because they're creations just like you. They will fail. They will wear out. Look, the strength comes from running to the foot of the cross and hearing the words of Jesus. We end where we began this worship service with the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, he says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me because I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Why? Because my yoke, he says, is easy and my burden is light. For those who are in Jesus Christ, God has provided an avenue to his throne. Because the Christian is covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God will incline his ears to our prayers even when it seems like he's silent. Understand, he hears and he answers. He just might not be answering the way that you think he should. The answer to our cries for justice may not come in the form that we expect because our understanding is limited. So then what do we do? <laughs> Walk together, children, don't you get weary. Talk together, children, don't you get weary. Sing together, shout together, mourn together, hope together, pray together. Don't get weary, because there's a great camp meeting in the promised land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you are our rock and our redeemer. You are our hope in every situation, in every circumstance. You are the one who provides strength to the weary day in and day out. And we ask, Lord, that we would know this with every fiber of our being as a community of your people to the praise of your name. Amen, amen, and amen.